Now we are getting close uh, to the end of our journey through the Lord's Prayer. Uh, we've been at it for eight weeks now. This is week number nine. Who knew that we could go this long in, in one short little few verses uh, in Matthew chapter six, but next week will be the final week of the series. Uh, and today we're going to look at a topic that many people are curious about, but very few have the right perspective on, okay? When it comes to the devil, uh, people either give him too much credit and they're terrified of him, or they take a nonchalant approach and they think the devil is no big deal, they don't give it a second thought, or they don't think he exists at all. None of those our proper biblical perspective on who the devil is and how we should respond to him. So we're going to talk about what a healthy biblical approach should be, but let's look at the scripture for today first. Uh, this past Sunday, we talked about the first half of the sixth request made in the Lord's Prayer. And now we're going to deal with the second half of that request. It's found in Matthew 6, 13. And don't let us yield to temptation, is what we covered last week. And this week we'll deal with the second half, but rescue us or deliver us from the evil one. Now the traditional recitation of the Lord's Prayer uh, says this, but deliver us from evil. Deliver us from evil. So why does this say the evil one and not just evil? Should we pray to be delivered from evil in general or should we be praying for specific deliverance from Satan and his power? In one sense, there's not really a huge difference between these two because evil has its root and the source of that is Satan. Uh, so there's, there's a, little, a lot of overlap between them. But there is something to be said for using the phrase, the evil one, that the New Living translates this as. When this particular Greek verb uh, that is used with this particular preposition, the way it's structured here, it's almost always meaning to rescue from a specific person, not from an abstract idea or a thing like evil in a broad sense. And as we see earlier in Matthew's gospel account, in, in Matthew chapter 4, Jesus was personally tempted by the devil himself. And it's coming off of this that Jesus launches into his teaching ministry. And I think Jesus here is warning his disciples, not of evil in general, but of the arch enemy of the believer, of Satan himself, of the devil and his power. And with all that in mind, we can understand the verse, maybe restated, expanded a little bit this way. Don't let us yield to temptation, but deliver us, snatch us, save us, rescue us from Satan and his evil schemes against us. That's kind of the sense that we get from this uh, petition here in this verse. So in this part of the prayer, Jesus models for us. He warns us about Satan and that we should ask God to protect us and deliver us from his attacks. So really, right next to this prayer should be written another verse where Peter does the same thing. This is kind of a parallel that Peter brings up later in 1 Peter 5, 8. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So when you put the first half of this verse together with the second half of this verse, you discover that this request is really... It's a confession of our spiritual weakness. 
it's just admitting to God that we don't have what it takes to, to win. It's a prayer for those who feel vulnerable in the face of Satan and all of his attacks that he brings. When we pray this prayer, we're kind of saying, God, don't let me come to the place where I will give in to temptation. Don't let me come to the place where I will be overwhelmed by Satan, but deliver me from Satan and from his power in my life. So when you pray, don't let me give in to temptation, you're confessing your own weakness in the face of trials and the difficulties of life. You're saying, Lord, by myself, I can't make it. I can't do it alone. And when you pray, but rescue us from the evil one, you're stating your confidence in God's power. The first half of that last week was your weakness. The second half today is all about God's power and his ability to bring the victory to us. Now, to say it like that is to raise one more question. Is this a prayer then for cowards? Is that really what this is all about? Is this a prayer for people who are too frightened to do spiritual warfare? And let me ask, answer that by asking a question in return. Was Jesus a coward? And the answer, of course, is no. But Matthew 26, later on in Matthew's gospel, says that in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the night before he was crucified, Jesus knelt and begged God for this cup to pass away from him, for what he was about to face, to not have to go through it if there was any other way. The Bible says he prayed with loud cries and tears to God to be delivered from that which was about to happen. He was the son of God, yet in that moment of his trial, he didn't boast about his power. He didn't say, okay, God, I'm ready to go. I'm strong. I've got this. I'll crawl up on that cross myself and die for the sins of the world. On the night before it happened, he cried out to God for help. And, and I, I contend that the victory of Calvary was won on Thursday night. The battle was won before Judas ever planted his betrayer's kiss on Jesus' cheek. The battle was won before a spike was ever nailed into the hands of Jesus. The battle was won when he prayed. You see, Jesus did not fail in his testing because he did not fail in his praying. Now take a minute and let that one sink in pretty deep this morning. Jesus did not fail in his testing because he did not fail in his praying. And so here's the thing. We say, you know, is this a prayer for cowards, for people who are too scared to do spiritual warfare? No, this prayer is spiritual warfare. Do not let me yield to temptation, but deliver us from evil. That is spiritual warfare taking place. If the conclusion we need to make is obvious. If Jesus needed to pray this way, how much more do we? If he needed to pray, how much more do we need to cry out in the face of things that we're facing or we will be facing soon? You see, when you pray, you are admitting your weakness. And when you don't pray, it's usually because you don't take temptation seriously. Definitely not serious enough if we're not praying about it. So when all is said and done, this part of the Lord's Prayer, it kind of forcibly reminds us of how weak we really are. Without the Lord's help, we would be in big trouble every moment of every day. We would be sitting ducks for the flaming darts uh, of the devil. Because unless the Lord helps us, we will not only face temptation, we will give into it every single time. 
You and I are not strong enough to defeat temptation on our own. It's only the power of Christ in us that gives us the ability to say no. The words of Jesus to Peter seem to go kind of hand in hand uh, with this verse. You see, at the Last Supper, you remember Jesus predicted that Peter would deny him. You know, before the rooster crows three times, uh, you will have denied me. And he also predicted that Peter would not be completely destroyed through this uh, denial. He would be tempted, he would fail, and he would eventually be restored by Jesus. And the words of Jesus tie both meanings of temptation together. Remember, temptation can mean either trial and testing, or it can mean a temptation enticing to do evil. Satan wants something from us in the moment of temptation. He wants us to give in to evil. But so does God. God wants something from us in the moment of temptation. He wants us to turn to him to stand strong in the faith to resist the enemy. And in this case, Satan's temporary victory in Peter's life leads to a much greater victory for God in the end. And it's the same for us. Our defeats, even though they can be really bitter and they can crush us, uh, they can lead to great spiritual victories if our faith remains strong, if we respond the right way, if we don't give up. So who is this being then that we're locked in a battle with? Who is the devil? I want to take some time and discover what the Bible has to say about him. And more importantly, how can we defeat him? How can we ensure victory when we face the enemy? I mentioned earlier that most of the church world today is wrong when it comes to the devil and their beliefs about him. Let me explain why. In America today, 60% of Americans believe that Satan is only a symbol of evil and doesn't really exist. Now that might surprise you. You may say, wow, uh, that means that 40% of all Americans believe that Satan exists uh, and is real? That kind of surprised you. Well, what about when you factor in only the church crowd, okay? 55% of church attenders believe the exact same thing that Satan is only a symbol of evil and doesn't really exist. So only 45% of churchgoers believe that Satan is real. Now, what about people who call themselves born-again Christians, okay? Self-proclaimed born-again Christians, 43% of born-again Christians believe Satan is not real. He's just a symbol of evil. That blew my mind when I saw that statistic. 43% of born-again evangelical Christians believe that Satan is just a symbol for evil. He's not real. Guys, the Bible paints a very real picture of the devil. Jesus was tempted by him in the wilderness. I mean, Matthew chapter 4, we just talked about it. Jesus was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted by the enemy. And Satan himself came to Jesus and tempted him on three separate occasions. The New Testament authors warn us about him. He is real and we need to know who we're up against. So let's see what the Bible has to say about the devil. Who is he anyway? He goes by a lot of different names all throughout scripture. Lucifer, deceiver, accuser, enemy of God, prince of the power of the air, ruler of darkness, angel of light, liar, murderer, the enemy, Satan, the devil. 
We see that all throughout scripture. There's a lot of different references and names used to describe him. But let's see what the Bible has to say about him. I want to read a few passages of scripture that specifically talk about the devil and some of the takeaways that we can get from that. Revelation chapter 12. This is a, a little bit more of a lengthy passage. So just listen as I talk about this, this end time event and uh, what role the devil plays in it. Then there was war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon, dragon and his angels, and the dragon lost the battle, and he and his angels were forced out of heaven. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all his angels. Then I heard a loud voice shouting across the heavens, It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ. For the accuser of our brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth, the one who accuses them before our God day and night, and they have defeated him by the blood of the lamb and by their testimony. And they did not love their lives so much that they were afraid to die. Therefore rejoice, O heavens, and you who live in the heavens rejoice. But terror will come on the earth and the sea, for the devil has come down to you in great anger, knowing that he has little time. And then Revelation 20 verse 10. Then the devil who had deceived them was thrown into the fiery lake of burning sulfur, joining the beast and the false prophet, and there they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So that tells us a little bit about the devil and, and some of that stuff maybe you'd heard before, you're familiar with those passages and, and what they tell us about the devil and his origin and his end. Um, but then there's another couple passages that I'm going to read for you. And these next two passages have mixed interpretations amongst the biblical scholarship community. Some theologians feel that these passages apply specifically to Satan. Others say they are written about an earthly king only and not about Satan. And others say it was written about both. It was about an earthly king, but also applies to the devil. Regardless since these passages are often used to give background on the devil, I'll throw them out there and let you decide uh, how you want to apply them. Isaiah 14. How you are fallen from heaven, O shining star, son of the morning. You have been thrown down to the earth, you who destroyed the nations of the world. For you said to yourself, I will ascend to heaven and set my throne above God's stars. I will preside on the mountain of the gods far away in the north. I will climb to the highest heavens and be like the most high. Instead, you will be brought down to the place of the dead, down to its lowest depths. And so there you have this passage where some people interpret, hey, this is why uh, Satan was kicked out of heaven because he wanted to take God's place. He wanted to be like him. And that is what drove him to rebel. Then you have Ezekiel 28. You were the model of perfection, full of wisdom and exquisite in beauty. You were in Eden, the garden of God. Your clothing was adorned with every precious stone, red carnelian, pale green peridot, white moonstone, blue green beryl, onyx, green jasper, blue lapis lazuli, turquoise, and emerald, all beautifully crafted for you and set in the finest gold. They were given to you on the day you were created. I ordained and anointed you as the mighty angelic guardian. You had access to the holy mountain of God and walked among the stones of fire. You were blameless in all you did from the day you were created until the day evil was found in you. So here's what we know about the devil according to what the Bible is clear about. He has superhuman power and wisdom, but he's not omnipotent. 
He's not all powerful and he's not omniscient. He's not all knowing. So he can't read your mind, um, but he does have incredible power and he does have incredible wisdom. His principal method of attack is temptation and deception. And his power is limited. He can only go as far as God permits him to go. And we see this in Job uh, chapter 1. It says, all right, you may test him, the Lord said to Satan. Do whatever you want with everything he possesses, but don't harm him physically. So Satan left the Lord's presence. So Satan had to go to God and get permission to bring this attack onto Job's life. We know that the end of the enemy will come on judgment day when he will be cast into hell for eternity. And, and here's something you may not know. He went after five different people himself personally in scripture that he went after them and brought temptation against them. Uh, Eve was the first one recorded. Uh, Job, David, Jesus, and Judas. All five of them, the Bible records, they were specifically attacked and tested and tempted by the devil himself. And that's a little bit of biblical background on the devil. He's very real. He's very evil. And never forget this last part. He's already lost the war. We read about that in Revelation just a minute ago. He has already lost. That part has already been written. The final chapter has been recorded. The devil loses. He will, he will suffer and be destroyed for all of eternity. So we know how it ends. And that's one of the most encouraging things. Even though we're talking about an extremely powerful, extremely evil being, he is limited by God's hand and his end has already been written. So where does that leave us? Like any good soldier in a battle, we need to know our enemy. We need to know how they attack so we can best defend ourselves. And we need to know how to defeat him. We read earlier that the Bible describes the devil as a roaring lion seeking out prey. Okay, that's how Peter wrote about him. He's looking for someone to attack. He's looking for you. He's looking for me. And I'm not saying that to scare any of us. I'm saying it to prepare us because we need to know that he's out there and he and his forces are set against us. The most vulnerable prey is the one who doesn't know who the attacker is. So let's look at the ways the devil attacks us. I want to help you identify what it is that makes us vulnerable. And since Peter describes him as a lion, let's look at that comparison with regard to attack. I don't think it was an accident that Peter used this, this simile here. He said he is like a roaring lion. So if that's the case, and this is how he describes him, there has to be a reason he describes him as a lion. So how does a lion attack? Let's look at that and kind of draw some parallels for how the devil is looking to pick us off. And the first thing is a lion always prefers to attack those who are weak. A lion doesn't go after the strong and the healthy unless he's absolutely desperate. If he's starving, he'll go after anything, but he's always going to pick off the weak as a first option. He goes after the young. Uh, he's going to go after the easiest prey. And we definitely have times of spiritual weakness that would make us targets. The youth aspect. They go after the young, you know, animals in the herd because they can't defend themselves as well. And when we are immature in our faith, we are definitely weaker. That's why Paul says, hey, you need to grow up. You're still drinking milk, spiritual milk. You need to be on solid food by now. 
because they are weak and they're vulnerable. In Matthew 26, verse 41, it says, Keep watch and pray so that you will not give in to temptation. For the spirit is willing, but the body or the flesh, our sinful nature, is weak. And we are weak. What makes an animal weak? Sometimes sickness, where something has entered the body and caused it to become sick. Well, sin does that to us spiritually. When we have regular sin that we are participating in and allowing into our lives, that weakens us spiritually. It tears apart our defenses against the enemy, and it's kind of this snowball effect in our lives. When we allow sin in and we embrace sin, even at a small level, what we're doing is we're opening the door to larger and larger entries of the enemy into our lives. Now, sometimes an animal will be weak, not because of an outside influence like, you know, a virus or illness, but sometimes due to a lack of food or water. They become weak physically because they don't have access or they can't get to enough food or water. And that happens to our souls when we don't spend enough time in God's presence and regularly water our soul with the presence of God in prayer, or we aren't reading the Bible regularly, which is our spiritual food. That is our bread. Uh, and we are fed spiritually through the word of God. And so we need to make sure we keep our spiritual strength up by praying consistently, by spending time in God's presence, and also by a regular intake of God's word. I'm so encouraged every time, you know, I, I notice because we're doing the, the read through the Bible uh, together uh, as a church family, and a lot of you are participating in that. And, you know, I still, you know, we're six and a half months in now. Uh, at, well, no, almost six months in now. And we are, you know, I still see people, you know, just this morning I saw uh, Jane uh, who made a comment on the uh, passage from today and get that notification. Somebody has made a comment on the reading plan and just, it's so encouraging to me to see Trilogy folks getting that steady diet of God's word and reading and, and absorbing and allowing the Holy Spirit to grow them and strengthen them through the word of God. If we try to face the enemy with sin in our lives or without a steady diet of our spiritual food, we're never going to make it. And if you fall into that category, you don't pray on a regular basis, you're not consistent in reading the Bible, um, you have those regular moments of sin that you haven't dealt with in your life, uh, you're going to be weak and you become a prime target for the enemy. The second thing is a lion will avoid the pack and he prefers to attack the loner. He will avoid the pack and he will prefer to attack the loner, someone who has drifted outside the herd, someone who is off by themselves. The pack can defend one another. There's safety in numbers. But when someone is alone, when an animal has drifted away, they're far more vulnerable to attack. And the same is true of us. When we drift from the safety of God's family and we drift away and we're alone, we become weak and vulnerable. Listen to what the writer of Ecclesiastes tells us. A person standing alone can be attacked and defeated, but two can stand back to back and conquer. Three are even better for a triple braided cord is not easily broken. And all throughout the Bible, the devil proves that this is his preferred method of attack. He gets people isolated. He gets them alone. And that is where he brings 
the temptation. That's where he brings his attack. Matthew 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led out into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit to be tempted there by the devil. Off by himself, isolated. That's where he was attacked. Throughout scripture, Satan has targeted the loner. Eve was alone. Job was alone. David was alone. Jesus, Judas. He knows that there is strength in numbers, and so should we. We need to rely on one another. We need to rely on our church family. We need to be accountable with one another. Hebrews 10, think of ways to encourage one another to outbursts of love and good deeds. I love the way that is translated there, to outbursts of love and good deeds. And let us not neglect our meeting together as some people do. So even then, when Hebrews was written, people were saying, oh, I don't need to gather. I don't need to come together as a church. I can do this on my own. But encourage and warn each other, especially now that the day of his coming back again is drawing near. Guys, do not ever fall into the trap of thinking you can make it by yourself. That you don't need the church. That you're better off just following Jesus by yourself. I've heard people say that. Oh, I don't need to go to church. I don't need to be a part of a church. I could just do my own thing. I could just read the Bible on my own. I can pray. I'm okay. I can follow Jesus. And really, church has no place in my life. Guys, that is putting yourself right where the devil wants you. We need, we were designed to function as a part of the body of Christ. This entire Lord's Prayer that we've been working through for the past nine weeks now is a reminder of this, okay? What, what is the language? Lead us, give us, forgive us. This is not a solo deal. We are all in this together. Stay close to the family of God. It always amazes me when I see somebody struggling in the church and I watch everybody rally around them. I see people come alongside them. I people, see people take them under their arm and, and say, hey, we're going to get through this together. We're going to go through this. I will stand and, and take the bullets with you. We will, we will make this. We're going to do this. We're, let me pray with you. It's awesome to see the body of Christ functioning as the body of Christ because it keeps us from falling away. It keeps us from drifting off on our own where we become even more vulnerable by the enemy. So stand strong together. Don't isolate yourself and don't allow someone to become isolated. Finally, the lion almost always attacks the unaware. I used to love watching wildlife shows when I was growing up, when I was in elementary school. I loved turning on the TV and watching these wildlife shows, especially uh, Mutual of Omaha's Wild Kingdom with Marlon Perkins. Anybody remember this show? Anybody with me on this? Uh, it was staple programming for me growing up, uh, watching this show week after week. And I learned a ton about the animal world from that program. And I can see in my mind, and by the way, I went on YouTube and I did some searching and I watched a few episodes and I wrote this sermon just because it was nostalgic for me. And so I went back and I watched them. Man, that was a snoozy show <laughs> by today's standards. I mean, it was I was watching stuff from the mid to late 70s, which is when I would have watched it. And it was really, really slow. Um, but it was just fascinating and they teach you some great information about the animal kingdom. And I can see in my mind the footage of lions stalking their prey, right? A lone antelope or gazelle on the fringe of the pack, separated by themselves, completely unaware that in the tall grass a few feet away from them, a lion is getting ready to strike. 
And unfortunately, what I just described is far too many people today in the spiritual battle that we're all engaged in. They're standing by themselves, they're weak, they're distant, they're vulnerable, and they're completely unaware that the enemy is hiding just moments away from the attack. Because like we talked about before, most people don't even think the devil is real, let alone prepare to defend themselves from his attacks. 2 Corinthians 11 says, but I am not surprised even Satan can disguise himself as an angel of light. And Hollywood gives us this quote from a, a movie a few years back regarding the devil. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was to convince the world he didn't exist. <laughs> I think that's a pretty powerful truth coming from Hollywood that uh, the devil, the greatest deception he's ever made was to convince us that he's not real because it makes us more vulnerable. The majority of people in America now believe there is no such thing as a literal Satan. Don't ever allow the devil to catch you off guard. We need to be aware of the fact that he is real and we will face temptation and attack on a regular basis. Ephesians 6, in every battle, you will need faith as your shield to stop the fiery arrows aimed at you by Satan. Pray at all times and on every occasion in the power of the Holy Spirit. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all Christians everywhere. Okay, this is talking about spiritual warfare, church, and I want you to understand something, that we are having arrows, flaming arrows, shot at us by the enemy. And we need to pray at all times, on every occasion, in the power of the Holy Spirit. So this is 1 Thessalonians 5.17, never stop praying, pray without ceasing. We need to be constantly waging war in prayer, against the enemy. Stay alert and be persistent. That means always, never let a moment go by. An opportunity for prayer should never pass you without you taking advantage of it for all Christians everywhere. So get this, this spiritual warfare is not just praying for me, it's praying for everyone I know, for all believers to stand strong in their faith. We need to be praying for one another in this spiritual fight that we're engaged in. So stay alert, keep your eyes open. Our faith is an area of our lives where we cannot afford to let our guard down. We can't afford to take a quick spiritual nap. We can't call time out, okay? Satan, hey, take a break, I'm gonna take a break. No, we have to stay ready, stay alert, stay aware. And that is how the devil can get to us. But we're not supposed to just sit back and take it, right? I mean, absolutely not. Jesus had already won the war over the enemy, Satan thought he had the victory when Jesus was nailed to the cross. Three days later, God triumphed. Jesus was resurrected, gained victory over sin, death, and the enemy. Colossians 2, in this way, God disarmed the evil rulers and authorities. He shamed them publicly by his victory over them on the cross of Christ. So we have already received victory through our relationship with Jesus. Don't ever lose sight of that. The devil is powerful, but we serve a God who is the source of all power. The one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. But how do we fight the battle against the devil? Scripture tells us three main ways. Here we go. Number one, we have to stand firm in the face of the enemy. Lions will often turn and run when confronted by aggressive prey. They don't know what to make of it. They turn and run. They go to find easier targets. James 4, 7, so humble yourselves before God resist the devil and he will flee from you. 
I love that I have the ability to make the devil turn tail and run. How do I do that? By standing firm and resisting him. But here's the key. Not in my strength. We don't do that in our own strength. The key is the first part, humble yourself, submit to God. The key is humility. The key is recognizing that we can't and only he can. We cannot live life for ourselves with our own agenda, doing our own thing and expect to have any strength or authority in this spiritual battle. It comes from God. Victory, the, the, the next thing, you know, the first is we have to stand firm. The second thing, victory comes when we are committed to run the distance. Victory comes when we are committed to run the distance. Um, it is well known that the cheetah is the fastest land animal. Uh, it can reach speeds of up to 70 miles per hour in just three seconds. That's insane. Accelerate to 70 miles per hour in just three seconds. The Lamborghini sports car can go from zero to 62 miles an hour in four seconds. Of course, it can hold that speed for a little longer than the Cheetah, okay? But it's comparable acceleration here. Uh, it's, in fact, it's, it's faster acceleration than the Lamborghini. The Cheetah can only hold that, that speed, though, for 200 yards. That's one-eighth of a mile. And then it's done. Nothing left in the tank after that. It gives up just a few moments after the race was started. It will go after prey it thinks it can catch. And if the prey runs too quickly or for too long, the cheetah gives up and moves on. And that is how the devil approaches us. Hebrews 12.1, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a huge crowd of witnesses to the life of faith, let us strip off every weight that slows us down. So those are those things that kind of make us vulnerable especially the sin that so easily hinders our progress, right? Sin weakens us, causes us to be sick spiritually and prevents us from really resisting well. And let us run with endurance the race that God has set before us. The devil is not going to stay with you for the long haul. If you can endure, if you can hold on, God will see you through and the devil will move on. The key is getting past the initial assault that he makes on your life. Temptation comes on really strong, doesn't it? I mean, when temptation hits us, it comes on really strong in those first few moments. It is really incredibly hard to resist temptation when it first comes. But if you can resist it and run the distance, you're going to be okay. Here's a tip for dealing with temptation. You know, we try to make it through, we try to endure it, but so many times we do it in our own strength. Well, I can beat this. God wants to help us. You can't beat it. The next time you are struggling with temptation, here is my advice. Uh, this is how I coach guys who are dealing with temptation and they're really struggling. This is my advice. Every time when you get that temptation, when that comes at you and you, you feel that temptation and that, that enticement to sin is there, stop immediately wherever you are and pray and pray this prayer or something along these lines. Jesus, I'm really struggling right now. I need your help. I don't want to sin. I know that you said you would provide a way out from every temptation. Show me what it is in this instance. Help me to run the distance. In Jesus' name, amen.
Now, if you pray a prayer like this every time you are tempted, by the end of that prayer, you'll be like, temptation who? It's gone. You have broken the power of that temptation by standing firm and by running the distance, by not giving in. And seriously, if you do that every time you're facing temptation to sin, you will likely never sin again. If that's how you respond every time. Run the distance and the devil does not stand a chance with you. Uh, next, your strength in the battle comes from being strong in your faith. Your strength in the battle comes from being strong in your faith, of knowing who you are in Christ. That's what our faith is, right? I have faith, which means I have placed my faith and my trust in Jesus as my Savior and my Lord of being rooted in your relationship with him. That's where your spiritual strength comes from. The key to defeating a deception is knowing the truth. If you're intimately familiar with the truth, you can't be deceived by the lie. 2 Corinthians 10.5 says, we demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. Philippians 1, I pray that your love for each other will overflow more and more, and that, here's the key, you will keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding. For I want you to understand what really matters so that you may live pure and blameless lives until Christ returns. Pure and blameless lives. The, the, the outflow of keeping on growing in your knowledge and understanding is that you will live a pure and blameless life. That's what Paul wrote to the Philippian church. And so here's the thing, what we're describing there, keep on growing in your knowledge and understanding, we're, that's called discipleship. It's called sanctification. It's a lifelong process of becoming more like Jesus. You know, when we get saved, when we invite Jesus to be the Lord of our lives, we are forgiven. In that moment, God has forgiven us completely. Every sin, past, present, future, wiped away by what Jesus did on the cross. That's amazing. But then there is this ongoing process for the rest of our lives of following after Jesus, of learning more, of growing more, of becoming more like him. That doesn't happen instantly. That happens over time. So even though we're forgiven instantly, we grow and become more like him. We are discipled. We are sanctified as we pursue a more intimate relationship with him over the course of our lives. And that is what helps us resist the enemy. After learning what it means to be a true follower of Christ, to do that, you've got to learn what he taught, you've got to learn the truth, and not just hear the truth, but know the truth. You see, bank tellers are taught to recognize counterfeit bills, not by being shown counterfeit bills, but by being exposed again and again to the genuine article. They know the real thing so well that they will instantly recognize a fake. If something looks off, if something feels off, uh, the texture of it, the, the slipperiness of it, uh, just the, the way it bends, they can recognize a counterfeit because it's not the real thing. And we need to be so grounded in truth that we wouldn't possibly be deceived. No, that doesn't sound like the truth because I know what the truth is. I've read the word. I know what the Bible says. I know who Jesus is in my life. And that, what you just said, or that, what I just heard, or what the devil is bringing to me, that is not of God. That is not truth. We would immediately recognize it for the fake that it is. So be strong in your faith. 
The best defense is a good offense. Don't wait for the devil to attack you. Live your faith and live for God and stand firm. Finally, here's, here's, here's something that I just want to throw at you. Melissa challenged me when I said, hey, we're going on, you know, I'm going to be doing this final thing. I'm talking about the devil. She goes, do we really want to give a whole week to the devil? I'm like, well, Jesus gave a week to the, or gave part of the Lord's prayer to the devil, so I have to. But she's right. Don't focus on the devil. Focus on Jesus, and you will have nothing to worry about. Don't spend all your time looking for a demon behind every rock and trying to identify where the devil is at and what he's doing in this world. Guys, just focus on Jesus and his mission. You won't have to worry about the devil if your focus is completely on Jesus. When we are tempted to sin, it is all too easy to respond by fighting our battles in the flesh, in our own strength. Sometimes we are easy prey for Satan because we take him too lightly. And sometimes we give up too soon because we forget that Jesus himself is praying for us. The Bible tells us that Jesus is interceding for us. The victor is praying that his victory will eventually be ours. The victor is praying that his victory will eventually be ours. And that should give us huge comfort in the heat of the battle. The God who calls us will give us whatever we need whenever we need it. The Lord has not brought us this far to cause us to fail. Don't be afraid. You are a child of God. Even your darkest moments are part of God's plan for your life. Before the story is finally done being written, our prayers will be answered and we will be delivered from the evil one once and for all. Until then, stand and fight. The Lord is on your side. We're standing together. We're fighting together. And we know how it ends we win. Let's pray. God, would you forgive us today for fighting our battles in our own strength? Forgive us for taking Satan so lightly as to think that we are an even match for him and we can handle this. God, teach us to trust in you completely, to believe and to know that Jesus Christ has won the victory and allow us to move from victory to victory to victory in our lives. Teach us to pray. Don't let us yield to temptation that we might eventually be delivered from the evil one. Be with us this week, God, and help us to stand firm no matter what the enemy brings our way and let us stand firm arm in arm as the church, as the body of Christ, fighting alongside one another. And God, we thank you that the victory has already been won it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen.